0: Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 129 of Control the Controllables. I'm sorry this episode's coming to you a little later than I planned, but that is the problem when you're trying to get Wimbledon champions onto the show. And straight after the mixed doubles final, where we had our first guest, Desiree Kravchek, and her partner, British player, Neil Skupski, as well as Desiree's coach, Craig Veal, who are coming on the show. Desiree had to shoot off to one of her best friend's weddings in California, while Neil shot off to... Tokyo for some sporting event that's been going on the last few weeks. And as it happened, I had a couple of weeks' holiday myself. So if you've ever tried to get people in the same room or in the same Zoom room as somebody in the UK, somebody in Tokyo, and somebody in California, it proved a little bit difficult over the last couple of weeks. But somehow we did manage to do it and it really was worth the wait to get them on there. Originally, this podcast was going to be very much a a Wimbledon review. You know, and the idea was we'd, we'd review Wimbledon and all of the great things and difficult things that happened during the time. And then as Wimbledon does, it finishes off with the mixed doubles final. You know, it's always the last event at Wimbledon. And then we were gonna unpack their amazing run in the mixed doubles. Uh, But instead of that, what we decided to do is it's a part Wimbledon review, it's a part Olympic review, and it's a lot of getting to know Desiree, who we haven't had on the show before. Craig in his position as coach now of a multiple Grand Slam champion, and then get to know Neil a little bit better as well. But it was a great chat. I hope you're going to enjoy it. I know I did. Lots of fun and lots of insight. So over to your Wimbledon 2021 mixed doubles champions. So the Wimbledon mixed doubles champions 2021 player and coach. Welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing?
1: You, Dan. Thanks,
0: Dan. What's going on? It's it's good to have you all. Neil back for his fourth time. Craig back for his second. And Des, your first time on Control the Controllables. Is that why you've been so difficult to get on?
2: I'm so sorry. You know, it's just it's hard to get all these time zones back together.
0: <laughs> it, well, that that's for sure. And I think for, for the listeners, that we should call this episode the miracle. Because I think, you know, going back and forth on on WhatsApp very quickly, Neil obviously jetted off to to Tokyo, Des, you jetted off back to a friend's wedding back in California, and Craig jetted off to Rygate around the corner from Wimbledon. And it was, you know, I guess my, my first thing to talk about, and this goes to you, Des, you've now won two Grand Slams. And I think in the tennis world, you know, I work at an academy, work with juniors, work with parents, and it's almost like this Grand Slam champion thing is the holy grail. And it's almost like you win a Grand Slam, all of your problems evaporate, it's all gone. You know, it all just feels as if it's all been worth it. How does it feel to be a double Grand Slam champion?
2: I mean, even just now, it still doesn't feel real. It's just crazy. It was back to back and, you know, with different partners. It was, it's honestly, it's a great feeling. But uh, I think Wimbledon was probably my favorite. Sorry, Joe. But I mean, it's it's Wimbledon. You just have to, it's just the holy grail of tennis. I mean, it was just, it's, it was awesome. It was a great experience and definitely memorable for sure.
0: And Neil, as a, as a British tennis player, it certainly can't get any better than winning Wimbledon. And how does that feel to be to be known as a Wimbledon champion?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's quite surreal, really. Um, like you say, being a champion of Wimbledon, no matter what uh, event it is, it's, it is special. Um, I've said it before, when you grow up, everyone, they watch Wimbledon growing up. I mean, they might not know any of the other Grand Slams, but they watch, school and watch on the TV. Um, and it's something that, that I did. As a junior, I always just play at Wimbledon and to uh, finally um, go far in the tournament and get the uh, get the winners' nice with Desiree. Um, but it also gives you the confidence to, to try and uh, push again and hopefully we can like uh, win more Grand Slams in the future if it's mixed doubles or on the men's circuit.
0: Because that's the thing that will bring you in, Craig, now at this point as well. I I haven't been fortunate enough to coach Grand Slam champions as, as yourself, but with, with Evan Hoyt and Eden Silver, they had a mixed doubles run in 2019 that I was a part of to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. And I always thought that it was going to be this, like, once you're there, it's just everything feels, feels amazing as a coach. And, and, I, and I've said it on a couple of podcasts. I remember we went out for a meal, could barely get a table in Wimbledon Village that night. And, OK, there was the disappointment of losing that match from being 5 to up in both sets but it was all about booking flights to go to the States in a couple of days to try and make the sign in for the challenger. And almost there wasn't really that time to enjoy it, you know, so you, you as a coach, if you had any time to sit back and actually enjoy that success.
3: Um, I mean, this one was different for me because at uh, French with, with Des. Um, I was there the whole time I was in the bubble, but, but during Wimbledon, I, I left the bubble before the middle weekend um having been away quite a lot and only living 10-15 minutes from Wimbledon I actually left the bubble um, did you not so think going that they were gonna win <laughs> no um it was uh it was wasn't that they weren't gonna win it was more the fact that uh I was only living 10 minutes away from Wimbledon and trying to uh trying to stay away for so long was pretty difficult so um so, yeah, so I went home, but I went back in for, for matches um, on a match ticket each time. And I was fortunate that after the final, I was able to go back in with the guys and celebrate and go to the hotel and stuff. So so
0: that was pretty awesome. And to bring you back in as well, Des, I know I, I touched on that question. And I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to grab out there for, for the tennis players that are, that are listening, life goes on. You know, I guess it, it's one thing. It's one thing to be that Grand Slam champion, to be that Wimbledon champion. How's life been for you the last couple of weeks?
2: It's been very, very hectic, I will say. I mean, we got off the court and straight to the hotel. We went to watch the match and, you know, we were there at the hotel. And then I left three in the morning to catch a flight, head to my best friend's wedding. And, you know... I obviously enjoyed the moment and like being able to celebrate it with everyone, like Craig, Neil, Joe, Harry, all of us. Like it was, it was definitely fun because at French, Craig, Joe and Rob, no one was there. I mean, I, Alexa, obviously my partner was there. And that was great. We went out to dinner and then it was like, all right, let's go straight to grass courts. You know, it kind of was like hard to enjoy, but I mean, obviously you never forget winning your first slam, but I mean, your second one, it's just like, Whoa, it's just, it was just crazy. Surreal. Like Neil said. Um, but no, it's been hectic, but also, you know, I've been able to, you know, be at home for a little bit, you know, be between LA, you know, Palm Springs and Arizona with, you know, another coach that I work with out here. So it's been, been kind of all over the place, but enjoying, you know, kind of being stateside for sure.
0: And Neil and Craig, I guess this goes to both of you. And a couple of hours after this, all of a sudden you had to deal with the disappointment of, of the Euro finals, you know, how, how did that, did that bring you down at all? Or were you just so pumped up about the, about the tennis that you were able to put it into perspective?
1: I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't too bad. I wasn't, I'm not a huge <laughs> England fan.
0: Um, oh God, I'm
1: more of a, I'm a big Liverpool fan. So, um, I mean, I, I will watch England, but I don't, if if they lose, I'm not distraught compared to Liverpool losing in like the Champions League or in the league at uh, a tough moment. But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of people in the hotel that were distraught. I think <laughs> Craig was one of them. Um, Joe Rob Morgan, was. <laughs> uh, Joe Salisbury. But yeah, I mean, I, I was I was still so happy from just winning the mix. Um, I wasn't too bothered about England in the end. Uh, not nothing was going to ruin my day.
0: What is it with Liverpool fans? My brother's a Liverpool fan, and he's the same. He's like, I was speaking to him a couple of weeks ago, and he he, he almost sounded pleased that England had lost. It was like this whole, like, uh, yeah, Man United players, and they're, uh, they're, I can't stand them. And it seems to be a bit of a Liverpool thing. What's what's your deal?
1: Yeah, I don't know, really. I mean, I guess because all the matches that they play are all, all down in London, so not a lot of fans go down to watch, um, and also there was there's absolutely no Liverpool Liverpool players actually in the in the start of I think Henderson he was a little bit injured. He started to play later on in the tournament. Uh, Trent was meant to go, but he got injured pre-tournament. So it was it was nice to for all the, the Liverpool players to have a little extra break. So they, uh, they have no excuse for the uh, the start of the season, and hopefully uh, get a, a good start and uh, retain or get the trophy back where it belongs.
0: And to quickly move away from that nonsense, Des, and back to back to <laughs> what we're back to what we're actually here to here to talk about. You you touched on the French Open, and and I guess the French Open had some fans, but not too many. But then all of a sudden, Wimbledon seemed to open up, and and it was you know the the, the fans, the stadiums were pretty much full. How was that? You know, after kind of a long eighteen months of traveling the world playing in front of pretty much man and dog, you know, to all of a sudden have a full center court. How was that experience? Oh gosh.
2: When did we when was our first match center court? Quarters or semis when we played? Quarters. So that out to center, I mean, I mean, I've never walked out through center court and that was amazing. Like I was just like looking at everything. I was like, whoa. And I forgot, oh wait, I have a match to play. <laughs> and, like we walk on court. And it's funny because no one told me which way to go on the court, okay? And so when you're walking out to center court, I'm thinking, I didn't even know where I was going, but I went right and that doesn't lead you to the court. And so the camera was on me and I was like, oh my God. And so Neil was like, it's left, go left, go left. And so I'm like, oh, that's the first mistake I did walking out to center court. And so then we got out there, but we had a great match quarters. Um, Samwise, we didn't play on center, but I think the quarterfinal match was it was such a great energy. And I've never experienced something like that. Like a mixed doubles match, I'd never, no, it was never that packed. And it was amazing. It was so much fun. Like they just the adrenaline, everything and like winning, you know, it was great. And to experience that in the quarters was amazing. And then to have it happen again in the finals, I think it helped settle my nerves for sure. Um, because I don't think there were that many as many people at the finals. I think everyone was getting ready for the big everyone match.
0: Everyone would have gone for the Euro. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I so, no, but well. it was great. It was a lot of fun, and no, center court was amazing. It's nothing like anything like it.
0: And how do you how as a coach, Craig, especially? Because I guess you won't have that much experience of coaching players on center court at Wimbledon as well. How are you able to to get things across as a coach to the players to maybe help them in those moments?
3: Well, a couple of years ago, um, Alexa played mixed on center against Andy and Serena in the first round at wow, Wimbledon. Okay. And one of the things that we that she kind of came off and spoken about, and I think a few of the guests on the podcast have said it as well, is is that moment where it's total silence, like when they call play. Yeah. Um, when, when it all goes from the hustle and bustle that center court is, and it's really, really noisy. And i would said that to Des bef- uh, before on, on WhatsApp. I just, you know, kind of left her a voice note and said, just be ready for that that moment when it goes from being really noisy, real buzz, yeah. to all of a sudden being silent. And and then just kind of be ready for that moment because I think some players it can feel a little bit, a little bit strange. And I think just to reiterate what what Des had said already is the atmosphere for that match was amazing. You know, I don't think any other slams get the buzz for mixed doubles like Wimbledon does. I I just think a a British crowd really enjoy the mixed and yeah, to to be able to be there and just, uh, and watch that and be a part of that. And as a coach, you it's the first time this year having fans back where I've actually felt like a bit of like a buzz again as a coach. Um, A lot of the other events, you can kind of feel a little bit numb. Um, And yeah, this year having having fans back, it's been, it's been a bit special at Wimbledon. So
0: Uh, Well, I don't feel too sorry for you because while this was happening, guys, I was I was in Portugal, in the middle of nowhere, at a couple of twenty five k events, and I can assure you there was zero buzz (laughs) in Portugal, three tarmac courts in the middle in the middle of nowhere, while you guys are playing on playing on these big courts. (laughs) But the the one Neil to bring up that it's it seems, and obviously you've been to the Olympics, and I want to get to that in in a little bit, but. The mixed events have seemed to capture people at the Olympics as well. And I don't know if it's a British thing. I don't know, Des, how it is in the States. But, you know, we had it and I actually stayed up. I actually had a wedding the next day. But I stayed up watching. I couldn't take my eyes off. It was the, the mixed event at the triathlon so that you've got two guys, two girls, you know, it went on for about an hour and a half. I, I didn't miss a second of the race. You know, there was something really special about it. Then the British team actually won the won the swimming medley event, which was a mixed event as well. And there was actually a couple of the guys that actually forfeited their finals or their semifinals to, to prioritise the mixed event. And, and Sir Andy Murray, as we all know, is such a massive advocate for... Equality and for for mixed events, he's come out on Twitter and really pushed it, you know, to say, why aren't we jumping on this bandwagon? It seems to capture the imagination. So if I go to you first, Neil, but then I'd like to come to you, Des, and see what your opinion is from an American standpoint. Why why do you think it is that the mixed events seem to really grab the imagination of of the British public? But I guess even if we go to the Hotman Cup, you know, it seems to grab everybody as well. And and do you see there being in a place for that in, in the tennis calendar rather than just sticking a couple of events in the bookend of the, of the calendar as we do with World Team Tennis.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with Andy. Um, he was, he's definitely one for the mixed events. But I, I think someone was saying that like the Hopman Cup is returning next year, which okay. is a good thing for tennis uh, in January. I mean, I play Grand Slam mixed every year and also World Team Tennis. I, I really enjoy it. I think uh, World Team Tennis should be in the, in the schedule every year um, because it's, it's a good format um, and it gets people's attention. Um, but I think especially especially the girls these days, they can definitely hold their own. Um, they um, Rather than being scared of the ball and the guys hitting the ball hard at them, they can, they, they can definitely give it back to, to the guys. What um, You can see from the mixed doubles this year at Wimbledon and also the Olympics, um, the quality of the tennis has is, is definitely risen in the last few years and I think there should be should be more combined events especially if it's just playing for your country or it is like a mixed doubles event where you, you do sign up for the someone at a high rank and you can get into a tournament together um, because I think it is exciting and it gets everybody involved and everyone excited so the more exposure it gets on TV then I don't see why not like the Battle of the Brits they had mixed events and at the NTC last year, and I think I think people got involved with that when there was no real sport on the TV. So I definitely think it's, it should be on the schedule at some part. But it's for the ATP and WTA and ITF to come up with an idea for it to to be shown.
0: I have to pull you back on one point, Neil, because I have to also say to preempt this the things that I ask are not always my opinion on this podcast. You know, I, I have a duty to, to ask the questions that the listeners want to ask. And I, I'm telling you right now, there's a right grumpy sod that sat there listening to this podcast going, yeah, right, mate. Girls can really handle the boys' tennis, Yeah, yeah. you know. There's somebody 100% sitting there saying that. So are you serving at 100% against the girl every time?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, why wouldn't you? You want to you wanna win a Grand Slam. I mean, if, if you don't, if you don't go 100%, then you know, I mean, the girls are going to hold back issue. She's gonna, she's going to return it with all she's got. And um, so you got to go 100%. I mean, some, I, I think some girls return better than guys. My serve sometimes because um, I don't know if it's just how it is, but they seem to have better returns than the guys. I think the guys try and overplay too much sometimes. Um, and maybe the girls focus more on the return because she's not used to playing a, a, big, a bigger serve. But yeah, I mean, in practice, I'm, I'm serving 100% against Desiree and she seems to be fine with it. And it's, it's, uh, it's nice to see that the girls can play at a high level. I mean, it, she, Desiree definitely showed that in the, um, throughout the, the mixed doubles at Wimbledon, especially uh, in the final, where she hit a few good shots and then she nearly hit Joe in the final, which is, which is nice to see.
0: So grumpy sods at home listening, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, yeah. But I will
2: say, I think there is an etiquette though. I think sometimes guys, it's like they don't sometimes go at the girls because it's like. I mean, I played karate in the finals of of French. I mean, second point, he like almost took my head off. He almost he basically pegged me with an overhead, and I was like, okay, it's. The 30 yeah. love it's fifty love in the first ma- in the first game and then I mean that was my first experience maybe of someone trying to
0: peg me but um how did that make you feel
2: at first I was like okay i like like Joe, Joe and I were like wow okay it's the second point this is interesting because yeah. usually like I don't feel like guys will go at the girls at like as much I don't know I think it's like I think it's like an etiquette thing. I, I don't know, but I mean, it's the finals of a grand slam. I'm, I'm going balls to the wall and I'm, I'm telling yeah. Neil, I was like, go at her. I don't even care. Yeah. Like, you're hitting her and I don't care. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. And it's like, Desiree
1: told me many times.
2: <laughs> and I'm like, don't feel bad. Like just go for it. Okay. It's just, it's just, it's a finals, you know, whatever.
0: But, um, no, to, I definitely back to back Grand Slam champ champion, ladies and gentlemen. Just given <laughs> the secret. The secret is out. <laughs> the secret <No>. is out.
2: <laughs> no, it was, I mean, like Neil said, like the whole thing with I definitely I I enjoy mix a lot more. I think. I think it's just because it's it's four times a year and it's like it's a kind of you're just there to have fun. It's and then you enjoy it. like you're playing with you kind of just sign in with whoever you can and then you know see how it goes but it's just it's just a lot of fun and like the energy is different but no it's it's definitely a lot it's a good time and you get to build you know like I actually didn't know that many people coming out on tour like the guy side and then to play yeah. be able to play mix and have that opportunity it was like oh my god I don't even know who to ask like I just basically just put my name on a sheet and if you guys end up getting in you get in then you enjoy it if you don't then you switch partners kind of thing so but I definitely think, like Neil said, mix should be added. I think a little bit more. I've never played world team tennis, in which I would love to, but I, I've heard only great things about it as well. So,
0: but yeah. it has to be in a better place in the calendar. It's, it's yeah, the cal- it's but not in a good it's place. A
2: good place, like as a venue, it's going be in Newell's. So, it's yeah, a long
0: but, yeah, but yeah, I, but I think what I'm talking about in terms of that is naturally after Wimbledon, and I think this is why so many people didn't play the Olympics. Yeah. It tends to be a bit of a lull where it's almost like a mid-season break as, as best as you possibly could in tennis. You know, we know that it's been wow. pretty much an 11-month sport that's just going like you guys are expected to turn up, especially doubles guys playing 35, 36, 37 weeks a year at times. You know, it's crazy. So that that, that kind of two or three week block after Wimbledon, tends to be a bit of a lull and if you don't take your break then or you don't take your time to work on work on your game. I mean we had Harriet Dart and all due respect to Harriet who I know you guys played in the played in the final Harriet's ranked 150 in the world or whatever it is and she was saying she's turning down world team tennis you know and all due respect to Harriet Dart if Harriet Dart's saying actually I'm not playing world team tennis because of the time of year that it is you guys who are top 20 in the world are probably going to say a similar sort of thing so it's i know there's lots of things to fit into the calendar but if we want to really take mixed events seriously which is which is what i think we're, we're, we're all saying you know, and certainly at the Olympics, the mixed events have been taken seriously. Then we need to find a place in the calendar for them to be taken because it is. It's it, it, it's it's such a well-watched event, you know. And, and again, I, I I I was saying I was gonna come back to you, Des. Is does it get the, res- the respect that it deserves in the states?
2: Um I think a lot of people come out and watch. I don't know. I mean, I haven't played in the states where for- I mean, the finals of mix, but we'll see. Hopefully, it happens one day. But I mean, I think a lot of people enjoy playing or watching doubles and mix. I think because like the older community, they're playing it. That's I think a lot of them play doubles and enjoy it. And I think, I think we get a lot of people for men's doubles, women's doubles, and I think it could expand. I just think we don't get as much exposure for it as much. Like I mean, our matches are only on TV when it's like the finals. Like that's really it. And I think. It should be, you know, advertised a little bit more about the about women's doubles doubles mix because it's I think a lot of people enjoy watching it.
0: Which the BBC tend to do. And I mean, I guess it's the same even with the BBC. They actually play like the 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 old boys and old girls, you know, they put them on big courts and they put them on TV as well. So maybe it's a bit of a British thing. Craig, to bring you in, just just to pick up on the the balls to the wall, I believe it was that Desiree said um basically basically smack it at the chick was what she yeah. said you know um what about you as a coach for mixed doubles what's your what's your advice that you're given are you giving anything different in terms of advice for a mixed doubles match that you are for a for a same-sex doubles match you know what's the what's the secret
3: um I mean in terms of that comment about just going for people yeah I mean that's that's basically just the two girls that I coach that's just the way they are they're pretty uh, <laughs> they're, they're pretty ruthless like that I mean Neil's played with both of them now and uh, and he and he knows that they both like going for a tag so um so yeah Craig, um,
2: Craig endorses it that's why
3: yeah yeah I endorse it that's why um but, but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the mix, the only thing that's majorly different is just the amount of movement that the that the male player brings for, at the net. Um, so, for example, I think the the chip the chip lob for the women they can actually use the chip lob a little bit more often in the mix mm. than they can sometimes in regular doubles. Uh, in the regular doubles, they don't always necessarily uh, use it as much because the net player stands maybe a little bit further back. Um, often, there's a lot more singles players involved on the women's side um, that are also playing doubles. So. Um, They tend to be a little bit further back and they're pretty secure on the overhead, whereas the guys tend to play so tight to the net that it's a little bit easier um, to bring the chip lob in for for the girls. Um, Also as well, just on on the return, I think Neil's already picked up on this, that the girls actually like it. I think a lot of the time when the guys just serve hard and big, Um, I actually think the guys when they change paces and use variation and spin, it's actually more difficult. Um, and actually, I think when the guys are just going hard all the time, the, the girls are so used to that because that's kind of what they play week in, week out. So, yeah, those would be the, the only real kind of, yeah, different things, I'd say.
0: Because I remember also there was a real, like, rhythm to it. And, and hopefully this is taken the right way. But if I take Evan and Eden when they played i think they played dodditch and chan maybe in the in the quarters and they were they were 5-2 up in both sets but i knew it was tight because because of the rhythm of what was happening next so i think it was like, it was like 5-2 but then maybe chan was about to serve so then it was like right get the can can they break chan if they don't, then Eden was serving and she was maybe holding 40% of her games and then yeah. and then Doddage was serving. So actually 5-2 very quickly became 5 all, and it, and it was like people watching that maybe don't have that tennis intelligence on that. Are going, How do you blow 5-2 sets? And just that rhythm of rhythm seems to be really quite important on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that the other thing that I noticed in the mix is that I think a lot of people assume that the guys
3: are holding easier than the girls, um, just because of the just because of the serve. Um, but actually, when you watch when you watch back, I think the the break percentage can often be quite similar for the for the guys and the girls because when when the girls serving, um, you know, you have got the guy up at the net being a big presence, making a lot of moves, faking a lot. It can be quite difficult for the returners. Um, so actually, I think you, I think you get a pretty even amount of breaks on both sides. I mean, you guys broke uh, Joe in that in that first set, wasn't it? Was It was against Joe. No, Karatsev. Oh, sorry. I'm thinking back to the French. I'm thinking back to the French final when Des played with uh, with Joe. Uh, when you guys broke Karatsev in that second set, but the whole match Karatsev had been holding so much, and then you guys, yeah. and then you guys got a break on him, and you guys also
0: broke Joe in, in the final at Wimbledon as well. I remember that. If anybody's listening that's a bit of a stat or a bit of a stat or please send me in the statistics. Yeah, I'm, I'd love to know that. I'm not sure that Mr. Veal is correct on that from what I saw in 2019. But oh. you know, however, maybe Neil, maybe Neil doesn't serve as big as Evan Hoyt. I don't know, but I'm not. It's, <laughs> like when, but I, I think it'd be quite interesting to see, see the statistics on that. So anybody, anybody listening in who's got that, come in. But um, you bring up a really important point, Craig, that um, I'm fascinated by this point. And uh, the spotlight goes on to Des for the next couple of minutes because winning the French Open with Joe Salisbury, my first question is why would you not continue playing with Joe Salisbury at Wimbledon three weeks later?
2: I think that's the question for Joe I mean um
0: so Joe dumped you
2: I think well I mean technically yes but um
0: oh, no satisfying that's all the more satisfying
2: you know what I that's literally what I look forward to was just okay we're playing Joe in the finals we're gonna beat him because I want to prove a point <laughs> um no but uh we I mean I had asked him I think I asked him for French in Wimbledon I believe and then he said French yes Wimbledon maybe and I was like okay so then we played Wimbledon or we played French and then before then he said he was paired up with Harriet so I was like all right cool so then I started looking for a partner and then
0: after he told you that after French or before French
2: no no before French before French Yeah, he said he was paired up for Wimbledon because I think a lot of people like look just to make sure like they have a partner for Wimbledon for mix, and it's just nice peace of mind to know that you're playing with someone already and not have to scramble for it. Yeah, and then I asked Neil, and then I think I think he was planning on playing with someone else, and then that fell through, and then I was then I actually asked someone else, so I had asked I had asked someone else, and then I was like, hey. I don't have a partner. Do you want to play? And he said yes. And then Neil actually came back to me and he was like, Oh, it's like four days late since I haven't responded to you. So, do you have a partner? Are you good? If not, let me know. And I was like, Okay, I already asked one. Sorry, this is pretty dog, but I'm going to let's play. But I'm going to tell him (laughs) I'm going to play with you. So, I actually texted the guy and I was like, Hey, the guy I've already asked. Like, he said yes. So, I'm going to play with him. And then he was like, All right, cool. So, then that's how Neil and I. Started
0: our journey to Wimbledon. I mean, this is like uh, this is like prom night. This is, isn't it? <laughs> high high school prom night. So so then so then the next question, which I'm sure this is an easy answer. Who are you going to be playing with at the U.S. Open? I'm playing
2: with Joe. What do you? Why is everyone shaking their heads? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so going, the going. back thing. to Iraq. This
1: was.
2: This was. Before the finals of French, we were all—I think it was Craig, Joe, and I—we were all in the band. I think either coming back from our semis, or I think before our final match. I can't remember. And Joe was like, "I was like, oh, like to you know play for like we were just talking about U.S. Open." And then he's like, "So do you want to play U.S. Open?" And I'm like, "Are you asking?" And then what's <laughs> happening? And I was like, "Yeah, let's play." And then he actually just texted me today, "Are we for sure playing U.S. Open?" And I was like. Yes. Cause you're the one we've already agreed for this. So yeah, no, I'm playing with Joe. Sorry, Neil.
0: And how do But you that feel, was literally how the feel, question Neil? that
2: everyone asked. Everyone was like, so who are you going to play yeah. with now? Like who's this? Who are you going to play with this? And I'm like, Oh my
0: God. <laughs> it's a hot topic. This is a hot topic. And How, how do you feel about that, Neil? Oh God.
1: Uh, I mean, it was a, a tough one to take really, isn't it? I mean, she gets dumped by Joe, and then we went together you and she went ask. back to Joe.
0: It's,
1: I mean, it's amazing, but... <laughs> where's, where's the respect and,
0: and... around here? <laughs> First of all, you no,
2: never no. even asked if I was playing you in the open.
1: <laughs> No, no, I, I knew the situation uh, before, oh. before Wimbledon. Desiree, well, Desiree, and then Joe told me. Can, we, can we
0: agree, can we agree, because I like these um, exclusives on Controller Controllables, can we agree that you guys are playing Aussie Open 2022, can we like... Can oh, it's we... a lot of pressure. <laughs> you know what i like, <laughs> I think... So the one
2: I would be going back and forth with Joe and Neil, I mean, geez, this is like...
1: Yeah, it's tough.
0: If you can keep winning, do you know what I mean, this would be an incredible story, you know, you keep taking the mixed doubles titles.
1: Keep going back and forth.
0: Yeah, playing
2: with the I'm Brits, a, you know.
1: Yeah. Hopefully we can get guys ready to play Wimbledon next year to try and defend our title, but we'll have yeah, to wait. Sure.
2: To I'm already agreeing to that. Let's go.
1: Okay, perfect. <laughs> so
2: there we, on, we go. Dan. It's on record.
0: Control the controllables exclusive. And this, I guess how this came about and to the listeners, so what we've done over the last 12 months before every grand slam, we've always done a preview of the of the slam and then a review afterwards. And our usual panelists um, have been talking about dumping people the, I I dumped them because I thought it would be amazing to get you guys on, which certainly hasn't been hasn't been a disappointment. And but as we've, I guess, gone two three weeks past Wimbledon now, it almost didn't make sense that it was going to run as a, as a normal review of the event. But I think now that you've had a little bit of time to reflect, there was, there was certainly a few things that happened through the event. And again, Craig, to start with, one of the big things that seemed to, to stand out around Wimbledon was, was the slippery grass of Wimbledon. You know, the first, the first two, three, four days everyone was slipping over there was two or three withdrawals you know everyone was obviously making a big deal out of it you know from a from a coach's point of view and from being close to the ground you know was it worse this year was it dangerous you know what was the situation um
3: i mean i hit on one of the outside courts on the saturday um, obviously, I don't move that great anyway, and I, I tend to just stand in one spot, so I didn't really notice any difference. Um, for, for for me, it wasn't an issue. Let's just put it like that. But yeah, I mean, watching that that first match when Novak played against uh, played against Jack Draper, you, you could see, yeah, Novak was all over the place. Um, it seemed to be affecting the the stadium courts a little bit more, where they had the roof closed. Um, so I don't know if that had something to do with it. Um, but to me, it wasn't it, it wasn't that noticeable. On the outside court, so much it seemed to be really affecting center and one more than anything else.
0: And by the time you guys played, I guess, Des, the courts were pretty bare and and back to back to normal, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I slipped a couple times actually. There were well, it was funny in the finals, the roof was closed, so it was there was a little bit of spots like by the net, and I slipped a couple times, like split stepping, changing direction. Yep. But it was just like little. I don't know if it was just the humidity or the moisture when there was when the roof is closed, but. I thought it was pretty human in there when
0: the roof was closed. And the next, the next topic, Roger Federer, Neil. Is that the last time that we've seen Roger, Roger Federer at SW19?
1: No, I don't think so. I think he'll, he'll be back for, for one more. I mean, he, when, he, when he lost to her catch, I mean, it did look like he was kind of saying goodbye to the crowd when he was walking off, but I still think he's got uh, another year in him. I mean, he, he hadn't had much practice coming into the grass court season. I think, I think he returned during the clay court season and he was just using the clay court season just to um, get a few matches under his belt before Wimbledon. But I think he's, he'll try and prioritise a little bit more throughout the next year and hopefully stays fit and gives it one more go. But I think it's, it will be tough for him to, to win another one because uh, there's, there's so many good guys, younger guys these days that are um, showing promise. Um, you saw of this year. He had a good Wimbledon and third catch. And, and you've also got, obviously, Djokovic and Nadal, two guys that are, are very still very good and going for, for success and going for the Grand Slam, uh, the most Grand Slams of all time. So I think they they keep pushing each other along and they won't stop until um, they're, they're on top. And I think once, I think Djokovic will eventually. Take over them all. I would take over Nadal and Federer, and then I think Federer eventually give up and say that's it, uh, and I can't win anymore. I
0: how many? How, how many does Djokovic win? Come on, let's have a little. You know, we can look back at this podcast in a few years' time. Craig, come on. I'm going twenty-six. Des, was that less do, do you think that's high? Uh, she's counting. <laughs> I'm it's, just it's, thinking like, it's wow. six it's six more than 20 <laughs> yeah
2: i'm gonna oh, i mean it doesn't seem that much because there's four in here let's go i'm just gonna one up craig i'm gonna go 27 because i have cause he's that good
1: uh 28 for me
2: oh, oh wow my God. Well, let's um, not get away here <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but look at I mean, I guess the Olympics, because I I I on and I'm on record on these podcasts given my opinion. So I've said twenty-seven as well, Des. So I can't I can't change that. But it's I also am on record saying I didn't think that he would win the Golden Slam. And, and I actually thought, I actually picked Zverev. I said, Zverev's the one I believe can beat him. Now I'm going to try and get a little bit of credit and a bit of kudos because that happened three weeks later than I than I than I picked. Um, but I guess the pressure ultimately did get to him, you know, at the Olympics. I know the tiredness as well. You know, I think sometimes we, we, we see these players and we think that they're robots. But I, as we see, they're not, you know, and as you guys know, it's not... Now, we might be talking about des in in three years time oh my God she's on a 14th in a row mixed doubles Whoa. playing with <laughs> playing with seven different British partners you know and you know and, and at some point I guess the pressure would build because everyone would talk about it and it would and 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 I do just wonder if at some point that pressure does get to Djokovic. and and that's been a that's been a big story and someone I think we have to talk about at Wimbledon obviously we watched Emma Raducanu be born. <laughs> You know, as I mean, I think as British people, we've seen her coming for a while. You know, we know we know of her credentials and, and her her abilities, but she really was the star of the show, certainly in the first few rounds. But then seeing that the pressure got so much for her as well was was heartbreaking to watch. And and that brings me on to that subject of, you know, mental health, the, the, the challenges that tennis players have. And, and I guess I have a little theory and I'm going to come to you on this, Des, and I know it's a sensitive subject, but players that have been to American University and who have got their degrees. And, and I was I was one of them. I'm a, an LSU Tiger like Neil. And it's it, it almost, I think, puts a little bit of a different perspective on tennis. And, and where tennis fits in your life. Whereas some of these players that are going straight into professional tennis from such a young age. Now that's one of my theories. I know that's not solving the whole mental health problems of the world, but I, I don't know what your take is on that. Des.
2: Oh gosh. I think that I mean, college for me was definitely a big stepping stone. I, I mean, my parents obviously wanted me to go pro. I mean, I think every, well, most parents want your kids to go, they want their kids to go pro, uh, you know, if they're really good and, you know, kind of skip college. But I think for me, I knew that I needed to grow as a player and as a person. And I think college did that for me and financially, it just, we didn't have the money to do that. And yeah, I definitely think college was a big part of me doing well in the pros and it it helped me be able to travel and do all these and play all these tournaments and I have a good group of girls that I travel with, but um, that I'm lucky and fortunate enough to have that. But I definitely think it's a great opportunity to do that and go through college first before you go into the pros. It's helped me a lot, for sure. Do
0: you, do you think it puts a different perspective on where tennis fits into your life?
2: I mean, yes, yes and no. I think, I, can, I mean, it helps you balance out the tennis part of it. I mean, it's not I think there's more to life than just tennis, you know, it's just like Craig said, he's said, told me that actually a couple days ago. I mean, tennis is a big part of your life, but I think there's other things in life you have to be able to enjoy and, you know, be able to balance it out a little bit more.
0: And Craig, to bring you in on this, and and again, you won't mind me name dropping him because Joe Dixon, who's a a good mutual friend of ours, You know and joe, joe's on the podcast and again des and neil if you if you haven't heard that podcast i, I honestly i would fully recommend it because joe, joe spills his heart on on something that's a really difficult thing to do he's had a had a lot of mental health battles himself and and speaks so openly and honestly about his personal experience on it he actually texts me during the Radicanu fourth round match and he texts me round about Four or five, four in the first set, um, and he said, "I think she's about to have a panic attack here," and he he'd recognised. Her her way, her breathing, the way that she was on the court, you know obviously it's something that he's experienced and he's, I'm not able to comment on that because I haven't been through that myself, but Joe being through that himself was in a position to really recognise what was going on and I know Emma since talked about, you know, the challenges and it all became a bit too much and her breathing, you know, she lost her breathing in that moment. How much of a danger are we in with young tennis players, young sports people? You know, we've had Simona Biles this week. We've had Ben Stokes, the cricketer in England that's pulled out of tours stating this, that that we are heaping too much pressure on on our young athletes. Um, You doubles guys maybe have each other to help out a little bit as well. But as someone who coaches youngsters as well, are we in danger of the sport becoming a bit much or is, are people just using it as a bit of a buzzword nowadays?
3: Um, I think the I think the challenges of sport have changed for young people definitely since I was playing. I think just because of social media, you know, rankings and stuff are available online. You can see where you're ranked constantly. You can always compare to other people how they're doing. I, I, I do think it has changed for juniors. I, I know when I was when I was playing, you know it. You, I wouldn't have a clue what my ranking was until I was about 15 or 16. I didn't, didn't really know. Um, whereas nowadays, you know, I, I have 11, 12-year-olds who can, you know, tell me what their UTR is and what their, you know, what their national ranking is, what their county ranking is and all these kinds of things. And, yeah, I, I just think that that, that that makes it very difficult for young players at the moment um, to kind of separate themselves from that and just to kind of get that enjoyment from playing the sport and competing. So I, I do think it is different right now, but I think as long as you have like people around you that genuinely care about you before you, the tennis player, I think I think if they care about you as a person first, I think I think we can, as coaches, we can influence people a lot more, yeah. more, more from more from outside the sport than in the sport. Actually, uh, I think we can actually help people with with who they are, um, yeah. and that can have a big impact. Then when they're on the court, also, but I think that that's that's actually our primary job a lot of the time, especially in the area that we work in where we're seeing kids every day, you know, we're not like working with a kid who comes once a week for a one hour tennis lesson. You know, we're seeing a lot of these guys, 12 to 20 hours a week, you know, so we're a big part of their life. And,
0: you know, we've got to be able to, we've got to be able to influence them positively. Good answer. And how good is Radicano Des?
2: Really good. I enjoyed her watching her matches. And I mean, it's obviously great to see someone so young do so well and, you just hope that you know they can sustain it and you know, with all the media and stuff, that it, you know, they're in a good place and they have someone guiding them into, you know, the coming upcoming years and fame and tennis, everything. So no, she was awesome to watch and unfortunate to see what happened to her, but she's definitely got a lot more tournaments to play and she's gonna do well.
0: And what was your what was your lasting memory, Neil, apart from the mixed doubles from Wimbledon 2021? What was your standout? Standout? Uh... I guess to, to jump on that question, and this would go to you as well, Des. Do you just get in your bubble? Do you just get into your kind of routine, daily routine? This is what we're doing. We're practicing. We're getting ready. We're preparing. And to the point where you almost don't notice everything else going around you, or do you still almost catch yourself picking up on the singles, picking up on the on obviously the doubles events that's that are going on as as a as a fan as much as as much as anything else sometimes. Which way do you go with that?
2: I think when I'm at tournaments, I definitely love seeing, you know, if there's some good matches, I'm definitely all about like I loved watching like when we were up at the, you know, sitting in the area, I mean I enjoyed watching all the matches that were going on. And I think there are times where it can be a lot where I'm at the courts and I'm like, all right, I just need to just stay away from the courts for a day or so and just kind of be in my own little bubble, like you said. But then there's days where I like want to go out and like watch matches here and there and I enjoy it. So I think it just depends how it feels and how long you're at the courts practicing all day and like the car rides and everything going back and forth. So I think it's just a balance of that.
0: you got, have you got your standout standout memory and moment yet, Neil, you've had a bit of time to think Daz saved you there. She bought no, you a little extra. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I probably wouldn't say that there was a moment. Um, as you said, when you're actually in the tournament, you're kind of uh, all about you and you're in your bubble. Um, and then you don't really see a lot of the stuff that goes on unless you watch like today at Wimbledon at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, once you're out of the tournament and you, you go home, you, you watch Wimbledon and whatever, whatever Grand Slams on, you get to see more like around the grounds what's happening um but you only tend to see what's happening on like center Court or Court one throughout the day if you're still in uh, because that's what's normally on the tv at the courts uh, um but for me i would say mexic uh, Pavic just dominating in the men's doubles i mean them boys are having an unbelievable year i think mean, they've won eight or nine tournaments now they've just won the olympics they're just making it look so easy um uh, to have the consistency and to, um, to keep winning, especially with the, some of the formats that they play, um, especially on the ATP Tour with with the, uh, the no advantage and also the, the MAAC tiebreak. Uh, they're consistently doing it and it's a team to beat. And hopefully, um, they've definitely uh, been my nemesis this year with me and Evo, playing in both uh, Masters Finals. Um, so hopefully we get a, another shot at them. Well, I remember Neil, I remember
0: speaking, I remember speaking to you and Evo after you played them in Miami. And it was like, I don't think I'd ever seen a doubles performance like it. Cause because like, you boys were on fire at that point. And they just like it felt like they hardly missed a shot. You know, I, I was yeah. watching and it was like, I remember texting your boys after saying, Jesus, are these, these guys always that good? You know, and it almost feels like they've just been able to just keep doing it, keep doing it. And then they've got the Olympic gold medal around the necks as well. Incredible.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's at the start of the year, they started playing. And I think I think it really helps as a, for a team to be to be good friends, to be in the same country. They obviously get along very well. They tend, they, they blend very well. I mean, obviously Pavic, the lefty, Connected the more solid of the two. Um, but Pavic seems to, he steps, steps up at big moments with big returns and um, with big serves. Um, so it, they are a difficult team to obviously to beat. And I think they've I think they've only probably lost a handful of matches this year and won about 40, which is an incredible
0: step. Sounds like a good mixed doubles partner, Des, if I was you. <laughs> You're yeah, but Dan, it. he's not British. He's not British. That's the problem. That's the problem. <laughs> exactly. <clears <clears throat> throat> and Neil, my last little topic, and I don't want to go too much on the Olympics, but I think it would be wrong as we're, we've been reviewing Wimbledon that now the Olympics has passed, you know, as this podcast goes out. Obviously, you flew out to Tokyo, which I guess just following you on social media, it feels as if it was quite quick. You know, and that's that's obviously you guys won won your first round and had the experience. It, were you able to take it in, or was it did it? Is it feel as if like that's all just a bit of a blur?
1: Uh, I mean, it was obviously it was straight after Wimbledon. After we won at Wimbledon, I went home to Liverpool for a couple of days, and I went back down to London, train uh, for three or four days at the NTC. We flew out on the Sunday, arrived Monday, and then we were. Trying to get acclimated to the, the hot conditions out there. We played on the on the Saturday. The open ceremony was on the Friday. We didn't go to that because people have said in the past to have gone. Uh, you can be tired the next day. So it's best just to rest. So we didn't end up going to that. And luckily we, we managed to sneak through the first match against the bios and Multani, which was which was a good match. We, we fought back in the third set being the end of breakdown. Oh sorry, in the second up for being a breakdown. Um, but yeah like you said it did go quick but it was I really did enjoy it it was an unbelievable experience to go and I mean it was my first olympics so i didn't know really how to compare compare it to it in the past but hopefully get another shot in 3 years time in paris when hopefully covid's settled down and we have fans back in stadiums and people can go and enjoy the sports but yeah i mean it was difficult to go and not been able to watch other sports um, what the athletes compete in the, in their uh, their events but it was nice to be around the team especially Andy who's who's a double gold medalist and he was on he was his fourth fourth Olympics. so same with jamie so it was nice to be the team environment was great um I always love playing in a, in a team event and playing for your country it just means more i think um but yeah i thoroughly really enjoyed it and hopefully I can do it again in three years time.
0: God, I thought I thought Andy and Joe were gonna win it. I really thought that they were gonna win. Thanks,
1: thanks, Dan. Cheers, guys. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, well, was... what about me and Jamie? <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I'm, I'm talking about when they win the quarterfinals. I mean, after they yeah, I know. I know after, after they have got themselves in that into that position, and obviously silage <laughs> Dodich is not an easy match, but it was they were set to break up. It it, it had it had the feeling, you know. I mean, Andy. Uh, he obviously gave us a couple of moments at Wimbledon as well. And I think he's, I honestly think he'll go down as one of the biggest legends in the game, period. You know, I really do. I think he's, you know, b- people are talking talk about Billie Jean King still. I think Andy Murray, Sir Andy Murray will be talked about as someone who has impacted the game, men's side, women's side, for years and years and years to come. And it And it just felt like maybe this is his moment to have his, like, Big, 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 one last big moment. You know, we can, I can see him maybe, you know, doing, winning some smaller events and doing those things. But I think the reality is for him to be winning a grand slam again, unless he moves into the double side, which he's then more than capable of doing. So it, it, it had that feeling. Were you still in Tokyo then for that quarterfinal match? Had you guys already left?
1: Yeah, I just, I was on the flight back actually for the, um, the- their quarterfinal. I'd, I'd spoke to, I mean, they'd played well all week. They'd crushed Mahu and their Bears yeah. at the first match. Um, they'd won the second round and then Dodig Cilic was a, I mean, they're, they're a good team. They've played Davis they together in the past. they played in regular events. Um, but Joe and Andy, they were playing well. Um, obviously, Joe's, Joe's always solid on a double sport. He he's not really, he doesn't have many weaknesses. Um, very athletic. Um, and then you've got Andy uh, next year, who's obviously massive fighter, great return, and he can he can definitely play doubles. He's played more Davis Cup uh, for Great Britain and then done well with them. They were uh, they were a solid team, and they had obviously had the opportunities. Like you said, they were set in four two up, and then set in four three be Um But I mean, Dodig and the they Grand Slam champions. That that they're obviously going to fight to the end. Um, and that's what happened. And doubles can doubles can change very quickly. Once you once you get back to a set all, and anything's possible in a, uh, a race to ten. So,
0: can we just take a minute to appreciate how mental our sport is? So, like, I'm just reflecting on it because, I, and I, and I remember this as well. I'll, I'll always remember this: uh, Andy winning 2012 gold medal in the in the Olympics in London, and the next morning he flew to Washington. You know, you guys, Des, you, I mean, you weren't going to another tournament, you were going back for a wedding, but it tends, it tends to be, if Olympic medalists, let's say win gold, they take six months off in other sports. They go on strictly come dancing or dancing with the stars in the States. You know, they live, they live this celebrity life for six months. Yet here we are in, in tennis and, Andy Murray and John Salisbury in the quarterfinals and their teammates, one of them being Andy's brother, have to fly off because they have to get to the next event. Like, it, it like where where's the present moment in our sport? Like, where are we actually like stopping and going, you know what, and, I, and, and again, I've got the other example I always use is Freddie Nielsen, Johnny Murray, you know, as wild cards won Wimbledon 2012. They didn't even spend that night together celebrating it because they they went off in their different directions, and then the next day they were flying off to play a challenger event or something. Do you know? It's it's completely crazy. I don't know if it's just me that's a bit of an old fart now that I reflect on the sport, um, but I, I don't know if anyone has any any thoughts on that as well.
1: Yeah, like like you said. I mean, I said before after we me and Des won them. I went back to Liverpool for two days and then I was flying off to the Olympics a few days later. I I couldn't really celebrate it that much. Um, And then another big event of the Olympics flies by and then you're in Washington here at the moment playing another end. So you you kind of, the month has has been amazing for me but I haven't had time to kind of sit down and kind of think about it um, and appreciate it. So, I mean, I'm flying off play in the next six weeks until the US Open and then then you get the indoor swing and, and your um, and then you get towards the end of the year so that's probably the next time I'm going to be able to actually uh, reflect on what's happened in my year and enjoy it and celebrate, sit down with the family and uh, talk about it but like you said we go, we go week to week, we don't really have too much of a rest and it's, it, can be, it can be forgotten quite quickly your, your achievements.
0: I'm probably quite apt that my next question goes to you, and it's my last question before our famous quick fire round that's coming, Des's way. Um, is to, is to you, Craig? What you know? I mean, Des, you're 18 in the world now. I believe Neil, you're 16 in the world. I'd like you guys to have a little competition to see where who's who's highest at the end of the year. But <laughs> working with Des, working with Alexa, who hopefully we're going to get on the podcast as well in, in, in a few weeks' time, what's, what's your hopes for the girls for the rest of the year?
3: Well, so the girls are, are playing uh, Montreal um, and then Cincinnati and then leading into the US Open. Um, this year, it, it's really strange because I think actually... If we had looked at it last year and said, "Right, you're going to win two titles," There's, you're going to win two slams in mixed. I think we'd have looked at it and gone, "Yeah, that, that's like a pretty solid year." But we've had quite a lot of moments where we have thought, "God, this year is not going the way we wanted it to." Um, you know, it's some of the bigger events. You know, the girls have lost, have lost first round, had some really, really brutal draws early on in early on in the tough, big events this tough year. Tough draw at
0: Wimbledon. Wow, really tough. tough
3: draw at Wimbledon, French Open, Pere Lynette, who ended up making semis as well. Um, you know, it's, it's been it's been tough at some of the bigger events, but I think the one thing that we just got better and better at is is the way we go about things and our and our process as a team has got better and better. And I think we just got to keep doing that and keep believing that if we keep doing that as a as a group, that results oh, are going to results are going to start to come. Um, I say that having the girls having already won two events this year, you know, they won Adelaide and Strasbourg together. Um, but I think for the expectations that we have as a group, you know, we want more than that and. Yeah, we just got to keep doing what we're doing because I think I think we're doing the right things, and if we if we keep going, I, I think the
0: girls can make the end of year finals. What about you, Des? How do you how do you measure success? It's a question I ask a lot of the guests on the podcast. Is success measured by results, rankings, titles, smile on your face? You, what's the what's the real success measure for you?
2: Yeah, I'm going to go back to what Neil had said. I mean, I think it's been a great year. I mean, to win two grand slam mix. And obviously you go in, obviously I'm focusing more on the women's side of the doubles. And I think we've, we've had one and a better year. I think we're going in the right direction, like Craig said. Um, But I think, I think you have to have time to reflect, you know, what you've done in like certain weeks and it's just tough because you're going nonstop. You're going from one tournament to the next. And it's like, you have to think like, you have to think like, okay, this happened like you had a great week you know and you just have to you're, be forced to be grateful that it, you know had a good week and then move on to the next one but you just think like okay we won this tournament now it's time to think about what flight i'm getting on for the next flight for the tournament it's just like you're kind of like non-stop and it's like yeah there is the times where you have to reflect and i think that is towards the end of the years when you think about that stuff um but yeah i think for us i think we need to we need to keep doing the same things we've been doing as a team and you know, still working on things, you know, in Montreal and Cincy working up to the US Open and you know, hopefully things will go our way. Um, but yeah, I think you just have to keep working on those things. And yeah, I don't know. I just I think it's we go week to week. It's just you could lose first round, you could win the next yeah. tournament, you could win five tournaments. I think you just have to keep doing the right things and you it's a process. So it's you have to just keep working to build it.
0: Can I just can I just say way. someone who was nowhere near ranked as high as as you two, who who my life is tennis, you know, as a as a coach, as someone who's do these podcasts, as you know, someone who who owns my own academy, you're both top 20 in the world. You're both Grand Slam champions. You know, you're a multiple Grand Slam champion, Des. It's already, and, and I know it's really hard to do this, and it's maybe not the best advice, but if you just took a moment to stop your career now and you never hit another tennis ball, you have had incredible careers. You know, there's there's so few people that can say that. And I think it it really is important to, to at least whether you're on a flight or whether you're in an airport, just to spend a little bit of time to just allow yourself to have that have that um, nice feeling, you know, and, and, and that is the result of a a process of a system that you've had in place now, probably for 20 years plus, you know, these things don't just happen overnight. You know, you got, I know Neil's story a lot better than I know your, yours, Des, because, uh, because of my relationship with Neil, but, it's it's been a hell of a long time that you guys have been banging against this tennis wall you know going and so so please do as someone who is a few years older than you and has you know been around the block a little bit please do try and spend some time to just stop and give yourself a little pat on the back and enjoy the the amazing successes that you've had so far and, and a big big well done uh, from myself on that as well you know you've got lots to be lots to be proud of and and Neil what about yourself you know I think there's probably a lot of people I don't know I've seen a couple of the the entry lists I see that you're down to play with Evo again maybe in a couple of weeks time um you know obviously playing with another LSU Tiger this week in Michael Venus what's the plan the hopes for you for yourself for the rest of the year
1: yeah, playing with Mike this uh, week in Washington. Um, I've been played with Mike since uh, college 20, uh, 2009 Was our last match together. Wow. Um, we got to number two in the country. But yeah, really, really excited to play with him this week. Bronze medalist the Olympics. Yeah. He's, I was talking to him before that try and get him on the podcast. Um, he'd be a good one to have. Definitely. Um,
0: is he buzzing or is something? he hungover? Which one? Is he buzzing he's about buzzing. the bronze or is he hungover about the bronze?
1: <laughs> no, no. He's, uh, he's definitely buzzing. Mike's, Mike's a changed man. He's, he's settled down now. He's, 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 he's definitely settled down from college. Playing Toronto and Cincy with Evans. And then for Winston US Open, not quite sure yet. It's looking like it's probably going to be Jack Sock for, okay. uh, for them tournament. That's... Uh, Yes. A new new thing,
0: yeah. That's a that's a serious partnership. That's a that's On you heard it here first, and not only that, that's a Grand Slam winning partnership. <laughs> I'm telling you that, that not to put the pressure on you neil you know one of my one of my favorite quotes from this podcast is is high standards low expectations so i shouldn't chuck all these expectations on you um it's been amazing having you guys on uh thank you for your patience des we don't mind all the ghosting uh on the on the whatsapp group that's absolutely yeah. fine um i'm just i'm just delighted and honored to have the Wimbledon champions come on the podcast and to have Craig, who's been such a big part of that as well on here is, is been amazing. Um, boys, you can sit back. Uh, you can, you can fold your arms. You can look back. You've done your quick fire round. We it's, it's, it, it's, as it says on the tin, Des, it's quick fire. Don't have to give it too much thought. Whatever comes in your head first. That's that. Should I,
1: should, should I log off now? Because I don't know. I don't want to hear of these
0: answers. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Des.
3: Here we go. Here we go. Can, uh, we go. All right.
0: You can mute yourself, maybe. We don't want to hear the okay. tears. <laughs> um, the first question. Salisbury or Skopsky? <laughs> Neil. <laughs> the, the second question. French Open or Wimbledon? The third question North or South?
2: North.
0: You don't know what you just answered there. I don't know. No, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Skopsky's from the North. Mr. Salisbury's from the South. (laughs) Uh, Double handed backhand or single handed backhand?
2: Double hand.
0: Three for three. The Tigers in Memphis or the Tigers in Baton Rouge?
2: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I don't even know. Okay. You have,
0: just... <laughs> give
1: Joe one answer. Come on.
2: What is Memphis? <laughs> sure. Oh, because you guys are both Tigers. Oh, my gosh.
1: It is a fake Tiger. That's
0: fine. You've got two LSU Tigers on this call. Yeah, remember that. Yikes. <laughs> And I didn't realize during the podcast when I set those questions that we were going to speak so much about this subject. But it's it's it seems to have been a hot a hot subject and you've been a you've been a great sport with it. And my my last question that I ask everybody is who should our next guest be on control the controllables? Ooh, I don't
2: even know. I think Alexa should get on this.
0: She's been called out. She's been called out by Craig as well.
1: I'm surprised she didn't say Joe Salisbury. <laughs>
0: to,
3: to be fair, she went, what was it, five from five answers for you there, mate? So um, yeah, it's true. Yeah.
2: Did you guys did you guys write these questions out? Did you guys bring these questions in? I'm confused. <laughs> oh, I would love to see what Joe had to say about this fo- uh, podcast.
0: <laughs> well, Joe, if you are listening,
2: I'm, I might not have a partner for US, so <laughs>
0: If you're listening, Joe, you're welcome to come and give your side of the story. Anytime, you know, just, just reach out. Have,
1: have you ever had, has Joe ever been
0: on? Joe's not been on yet, no. So Ooh. he's he's definitely, he's on the list. He's definitely on the list. We need to, we need to get his opinions on all of this. Um, but no, my, my, my last thing, I know it's been, it's been great banter. It's been some great insights in there, guys. But my last thing to say is, like I've said already, a massive well done to you all. You know, you're doing amazing things in in this amazing sport that we all love. And then you've come on and you've spoken so well. And, you know, being able to have a good laugh and joke about it as well, which is ultimately what it's, what it's all about as well. So thank you to you all. All the best of luck this week, next week, all of the weeks that seem to happen in the tennis world. Craig, keep up the great work. And go and get yourself inside, outside of that car. Go and warm yourself up, mate. Cheers, Gina. Thank you so much. Take care. Good luck. And I just want to jump on one yes to say a big thank you to to Desiree for coming on, for Neil and for Craig once again coming on to the show. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long. You know, as promised, we were going to have a little bit of time off the podcast. We will be coming back at the start of September. We're going to start recording in the next couple of weeks and we've got some fantastic guests lined up for for the next part of, of the podcast. But just my couple of little thoughts, I guess, to leave you from that podcast, just once again showing how important it is to have a connection, to have chemistry, whether that's coach to player, whether that's doubles partners, And I guess I'm so privileged to sit and have these conversations because it really does come through loud and clear. It came through loud and clear before we pressed the record button as we have that conversation beforehand. And then as we chatted, there was so much banter flying around and and it was very clear to see how comfortable they all are with each other. You know, and this is where great teams are formed. And I think tennis is more of a team sport, actually, than a lot of people let on. I know it's an individual sport, but you see, they're traveling in big teams. Obviously, doubles partnerships so important that you have that connection and you have that way of getting on. And and also to show that it can be fun. You know, Desirée our multiple Grand Slam champion. Neil winning his first Grand Slam. Neil since moved up to 14 in the world. And I believe Desiree is also top 20 in the world. Yet they're having fun. They're enjoying it. You know, they're not taking themselves too seriously. They're working very hard. And if you're a junior tennis player, if you're a parent, if you're someone who's trying to start to make it on the tour, don't forget, you know, this is a beautiful sport. It's a sport we're very... Fortunate to get the opportunity to be living a large part of our lives in. Have a smile on your face, enjoy the sport. You know, make sure you are talking to the other players at the tournaments and building your networks as you go because people make us happy, tennis makes us happy, and the chance to bring them both together and 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 live our life in in that way is really important rather than getting too caught up in the stresses that potentially can come with the sport. So hopefully you enjoyed that episode. As I say, we'll be back with our next episode, start of September. we got lots of bright ideas, lots, of, lots more amazing guests coming your way. I hope you've enjoyed having my voice back after the last couple of episodes. To those that are new to the show, thank you for finding us. I hope you enjoyed it. Please do go. There's another 128 episodes that are there waiting for you. Those of you that have rated, reviewed the show, thank you very much. Those that feel the need, I would like to just spend a minute doing that. We're very grateful for you doing that as well. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan, and we are Control the Controllables.